0: This is the Sex and Psychology podcast, the sex ed you never got in school and won't get anywhere else. I am your host, Dr. Justin Laymiller. I am a social psychologist and research fellow at the Kinsey Institute and author of the book, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life. The conversations we've been having surrounding sexual consent have shifted dramatically in the last couple of decades. From no means no to yes means yes the language and meaning of consent has evolved. However, there's still a lot of confusion around consent. Consent itself is not as simple and straightforward as it might sound. It's actually a complex and highly nuanced concept that means different things to different people and is communicated differently across contexts and relationships. So let's talk about consent. In today's show, we're gonna talk about how we can do better when it comes to obtaining consent, how to make consent sexy, tips for better sexual communication in general, and so much more. I am joined once again by Dr. Eric Fitzmedrid, a therapist specializing in relationship and sexual issues in the San Francisco Bay Area. His specialty is helping men improve their sex lives. His latest book is titled The Better Man, A Guide to Consent, Stronger Relationships, and Hotter Sex. I can't wait for this conversation. Stick around, and we're going to jump in right after the break. This episode is all about consent and communication, which are topics you can never learn too much about because they're so vital to a healthy and pleasurable sex life. That's why I recommend checking out Beducated. Their library of online courses offers fantastic sex and relationship education, including how to improve intimate communication. A great course to start with is The Wheel of Consent, which offers a very helpful and practical model for understanding consent. This course also includes a tutorial on the three-minute game, which is a really fun couples exercise to help you better communicate your desires and boundaries. There is so much to learn from all of Beducated's courses. Try them all today for free, and if you like what you see, you can get 40% off the yearly pass by using my last name, LayMiller, as the coupon code. There's also a 14-day money-back guarantee. Check the show notes for the link, and be sure to use my last name to get your discount. Enjoy. Okay, Eric, let's talk about consent and communication. As I was putting my notes together for this show, I couldn't help but think of an experience I had this week where I watched two TV shows back-to-back that presented very different portrayals around consent and kissing. And in one show, there was a scene where one of the characters confronts another about having been kissed without being asked first. And that was experienced as traumatic and victimizing. And in the other show that I watched right after that, one character asked the other if he could kiss her. And she said, you don't ask someone before you kiss them. You just do it. You know, that ruins it. And it takes away all of the fun and excitement. And it was fascinating to see those two scenes on the same night. And it just made me think about how, you know, it's no wonder that people are so confused about consent because we get all these conflicting messages about it. So I want to ask you two things about this. And the first is just for your take on how the popular media tends to depict sexual consent and how you think that might be playing into how people are navigating it in real life.
1: So I think that in popular media, what is portrayed is the fantasy, often. And that fantasy of consent is that we can just feel it, we can just know, we can connect and follow the flow and everything works and everybody loves it. And just like you said, the other thing that gets presented in popular media is what happens when you were aiming for that and something goes wrong. And so we are in a culture shift. We do want sexual experiences that flow, that feel good for everyone, where we can lose self-consciousness to a degree. But we're also realizing that it takes a lot of effort and work to make sure that we can lose that self-consciousness. That everyone, including ourselves, is protected in those situations. And so I think we're restructuring the consent narratives. And I do think that a lot of heterosexual experiences and homosexual experiences in my practice working with gay men, are a lot of them, especially when they've been on grinder for a long time, are realizing like, Oh, I used to think that gay men don't have a problem with consent, but I'm beginning to realize like (laughs) we're not having as many slow and careful conversations as I would like. And I'm noticing that men often sometime in their early 30s, maybe as some of the eagerness to get out and kind of go through the slutty phase of gay identity development kind of fades. Oh, I, I think I need something more. And I think that's something a lot of men need to do is reclaim consent for ourselves. This is here for us. This is here for us both to express our intense desire. It's for us to make sure that we don't hurt a partner because we don't want to, most of us thankfully, and for us to make sure we feel safe enough to follow desire so that we'll know what to do to give our partner the pleasure we desire to give them.
0: Yeah, I think you brought up a lot of really important points there. One, going back to the media example, I think you're right in framing it as it often presents the fantasy. And people need to think about media and also porn as entertainment and not as education, because it's not depicting how things actually work in the real world. But it's fascinating what you mentioned about gay men navigating issues of consent because for a long time we've heard from folks like my buddy Dan Savage who says that you know gay men are much better at sexual communication on average and you know you look at their online and other communications but I think in the last few years there has been a shift and there are more struggles around this especially when you have a group of gay men diverse in age who are communicating with each other online. And the younger generation of gay men thinks about consent very differently from older generations. And, you know, it makes total sense if you think about sort of the history of the gay rights movement and what it is meant to be gay at different points in time, you know, in the not-too-distant past, being out, you know, was something that could get you fired and, you know, had all these negative social implications. And so, sexual expression tended to occur in private, and there were lots of dark rooms and other places, and consent was all communicated non-verbally through looks and knowing glances and so forth. And so I think, you know, you have this older generation of gay men who are navigating consent, operating still under kind of like that old system, but you have this younger generation of gay men who's really embraced these new ideas of consent and it being very verbal. And so I think that that creates some conflict and tension within the community. And you know, it reminds me of a, a story one of my friends actually told me last weekend about being out at a gay bar and somebody just came up to him on the dance floor and just stuck his tongue down his throat and, you know, didn't ask or communicate. And that would have been a normative practice, you know, in the community in the not-too-distant past, but today, very different landscape. So, and this is why it's important to talk about this issue of consent and how it evolves and, and changes.
1: Absolutely. I think there's this, like I said, this shift from just the low bar consent of preventing assault and in gay spaces, the risks of being physically overpowered are not as great, but that's still, you know, we're moving towards a consent ethic, a consent culture that protects not just our body, but also our heart, also our desire, also What do I want here? And are you honoring that? Are you respecting me as a whole person? Hey, we're going to have a hookup. It's going to be awesome. But am I also still a human being?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Now, going back to those two TV scenes that I mentioned. Yeah. There's that confusing question that they raise about how you balance that issue of obtaining consent while also not stripping it of the passion and excitement. And I think there are a lot of people who are under the impression that stopping to ask for consent, you know, verbally and explicitly at each step along the way takes all of the fun out of sex. But it doesn't have to, you know, consent can be sexy. So can you talk to us a little bit about this misconception about consent and how to make consent sexy?
1: Absolutely. And I always want to start that conversation with, even if it does ruin the flow, not feel sexy, even if your partner does say, oh, you know, I don't want you to ask questions like that. Let's just get in the flow. I think that you can take a look at that feedback process and still use consent anyway and protect yourself. And if that's the risk, it's better to start there than not and consent candy sexy. And the more proficient we get in it, the better. We can be sitting at a table in a public space negotiating some of the things that are going to happen in a future kink scene or that we're open to as we get into a hotel room or a private space. And we can be flirting. We can be saying, oh, you don't like that, but you do like this. Okay, tell me more about that. And we can begin creating this richness, this flirtation that's built building anticipation that's using a seductive process and that's following the yeses and honoring the noes while we go along. But it requires a degree of resilience and also, again, knowing yourself. So, oh, I heard a no there. That was something I was interested in here. Is that completely off the table? Okay, it is. Great. Um, let me think about that. Do I still want to explore this? what are the yeses here? Do I still want to look for them or am I done? And if there are still some yeses here, then leaning into those, accepting those, taking that opportunity is where the joy is going to come from. And so that goes back to all of that foundational self-knowledge generally about what does turn me on, but also specifically what I'm interested in today with this person, long-term partner or short-term partner.
0: Yeah, and I think what you're describing there highlights how, you know, there's a learning process involved here. You know, this is a skill that you're building over time. You have to be resilient to realize it's not going to be perfect every time because you've got to figure out how to navigate and approach this. Your partner might not necessarily be any more skilled in this than you are. And so, you know, yes, we can have consent education that talks about all of these things, but a lot of it still just kind of has to be learned through practice, putting these things into motion, implementing them, and realizing how it can be sexy. Because when you're describing it in these very abstract ways, I think it just it doesn't compute for a lot of people because it just doesn't match up with how they've approached sex in the past. And it requires a shift in your mindset, and it's going to take a little bit of practice to get it right.
1: I love what you said about your partner may not be as practiced at it either. And if your partner is giving you feedback, I don't want to have a consent conversation. I don't want you to ask for these things explicitly. I just want you to follow the flow. I really encourage men to make that a yellow flag at the least for yourself. Like, How is this person then going to attend to your boundaries? How is this person then going to protect your heart in the process? How is this person then going to let you know if things are not working for them so that you don't do something that you don't want to do to create pain for them? That is something you should be cautious about. This is a part of that reclaiming and the consent is for you, not just about getting
0: consent from the other person. I love that, and it's such an important point and something I think a lot of people may not have thought about before, but yeah, that's really powerful.
1: As men, we're not used to being protected or being thought of as needing protection, and this is where that reframe comes. This liberation is for us.
0: Yeah. Now, in my lifetime, the conversation around consent has shifted dramatically. You know, we were just talking earlier about how consent in the gay community has shifted over time, but just more broadly in society. You know, for example, when I was growing up, we often heard, no means no, and that was kind of like the main message that we heard about consent. And then later that sort of shifted to yes means yes. And so, you know, you have this very big evolution in how people have talked about consent and how things have changed. So can you speak to us a little bit about how that landscape around sexual consent has evolved and how it's still evolving in our society?
1: Yeah. I mean, Yes Means Yes, the book by um, Friedman came out in, what, 2009? At that point, I think they were talking about it as explicit consent. It's become more about affirmative consent, which is more nuanced. It means that sometimes consent is not a verbal process. We're also recognizing that consent in long-term relationships looks different than consent in short-term relationships. I use an example in my book of The Consent Castle, idea that in long-term relationships we have a repertoire we know each other's cues and when we stay in the lane this house is built we don't need all of our construction safety gear on our hard hat and our safety vest and if we're going to try something new we're going to add something on to this castle and put it back under the construction process we need to put that hard hat and safety vest back on and so i do think that we're expanding from just a litigiously oriented, let's prevent sexual assault or worse, to that sexual ethic, we're moving from everything needs to be verbal and robotic to acknowledging that uh, consenting and responsible adults can communicate in many different ways and how are we clear in that communication, whatever that clarity is, including how the process is not just consent at a particular moment but it's an ongoing process that can be revoked at any time and that's something that we can follow up on. something might have felt okay in the moment and a partner might feel differently about it later. That doesn't mean you did something wrong, but it would be something to learn from if you're going to play with that person again, or maybe generally for something to take with you as you go into having playtime with other partners.
0: Everything you talked about there highlights why and how a lot of people find the subject of consent be confusing, that it's not just the yeses and the noes, and it's not always verbal, and it might be different with a casual partner versus a committed partner. And so, you know, it gets to the broader question of what does consent really mean anyway? There's so much more to consent than just a verbal yes or no. Uh, There was this viral hashtag a few years back called what consent means to me, and I think that it highlights this point really well. So can you speak to us a little bit more about how different people are defining consent in different ways, and then further, how do you know when you have the green light if different people have different understandings of consent, especially if you don't have that shared history, that consent castle with a given partner?
1: Consent means different things for different people because it takes different things for different people to feel safer, to feel cared for and tended. And I think that really goes back to the broad landscape of just other people are different. They are different from you. They work differently. This partner works different from the last partner who is going to be different from the next partner. And so there is a degree of individuality that we need to attend to. We need to stop trying to go to simple answers of, you know, people are this way, women are this way, men are that way and begin realizing, like, we don't know. Other people are alien to us, and we need to discover each other anew every time. And how do you know when? I think there's a process, especially early in relationship, that I recommend of continuing to check in, pausing, backing up. Hey, how is this make-out session going for you? I'm going to back up. I'm going to, you know, move away from the you a little bit on the couch. I'm going to get some water for each of us. I'm going to shake my head clear. I'm going to kind of shake off some of that narrowing of attention that comes up as desire rises. And I'm just going to say, how is this going? How are you liking the touch? Are you feeling like this is a good cruising altitude for today's engagement? Are you interested in exploring more possibly or right now? How do we move forward? And by pausing and checking in more or less consciously, taking more or less time with a given partner to get the verbal look of like, you're doing okay, the eyebrows raised, the lean in, that little check of like, if your partner's adjusting positions, finding out what does that mean. And over time with the same partner, I think we get attuned. And every once in a while we can also check in how are things feeling? Are you feeling that this attunement is still here? You know, there's the short-term, mid-term, and long-term attunement. And long term, you know, maybe we need to re-update our models because our partner is aging. Their knees are different than they used to be. They can't stay in the same position as long as they used to. Their erotic landscape is developing and there are some new things they want to try. But I think the powerful message is. This is always the pathway to more pleasure.
0: Yeah. You know, there are a lot of things you said there that made me think. And one of them was that idea of what is it I need to feel safe as a way of understanding consent? And, you know, I think that's an interesting question for people to ask themselves is what does consent mean to me? I'm guessing a lot of people have never really stopped and reflected on that. And I think for some people it is that feeling of safety but for other people that might not be as core to their definition you know some people are sexual sensation seekers and they want these really intense and really thrilling and sometimes very risky sorts of experiences or encounters and so you know it's going to mean something different to everyone based on their own unique sexuality and that's where it's really important to understand yourself but also to understand your partner because they might be coming from a very different background or understanding
1: And even for that high-sensation-seeking, high-thrill-seeking, high-intensity-seeking person, I would guess if we ask them, yes, you're oriented towards experiences like that, but do you value your partner feeling safe? Do you value your partner's consent? And this is a practice I engage in fairly regularly is a little values exploration. Yes, you're maybe oriented on that sensation, but where do you value consent and safety for your partner? And when you're forced to prioritize it, even those high sensation seekers will say, yes, of course, my partner's safety, my partner feeling that I honored their consent is very high for me. Well, then you have to act like that. You have to create the safety for your partner to engage with you. And kink communities have long been advocating for, yeah, great, go for it, whatever it is, have have so much fun with each other. And Pave the way and put the boundaries up and know what your exit words are, your safe words, you know how you're going to monitor each other through the process and build towards those peaks carefully with each other.
0: Yeah, and there's a lot we can learn from the kink community when it comes to communicating about consent, and we've talked about that on some previous episodes of the show. Now, there's been a lot of talk in the last few years about the topics of enthusiastic consent and affirmative consent, and in some places, they've literally become the law of the land. And the idea is basically that everyone has to be visibly and vocally excited about everything at every step along the way. But whenever I give talks about consent, I talk about this consent spectrum. You know, on the one end, you've got non-consensual sex, on the other end, you've got enthusiastic consent. But there's this big area in the middle, It's a gray zone, where a lot of consent is communicated non-verbally or in more passive ways. And the enthusiastic and affirmative consent models, like their goal is to eliminate the gray zone, which, you know, makes sense. You don't want to have any ambiguity in there. But the reality is that that gray zone is actually where most people say that consent falls for them. Because if you ask people how is consent usually communicated, it's not through that enthusiastic or affirmative consent model, including when you do studies with college students today so you know while enthusiastic consent sounds great in theory it's not what people are using in practice so my question for you is is it realistic to think that we can get everyone over to the enthusiastic side and does it have to be enthusiastic in order for it to be consensual That's where I like to make the distinction
1: right, between legal definitions of consent to low-bar definitions of consent that prevent harm to high-bar definitions of consent that creates the greatest amount of pleasure. Is it realistic? I think that we can create a consent culture where When we reduce sexual shame in general, we can talk more openly about what's happening where all participants in a sexual experience are both believing that they deserve consent and safety and also that they are sharing in responsibility for the care and safety of the partner or other partners in that process. Where we are engaging in a monitoring process of that and we are taking better care of each other. And I think that at the least, the transitional process is to become more verbal about it, to put our desires into words, and to open our ears to check and hear and listen. And I think that that can be done in flow and vibrantly and intensely and hot. It can be hot.
0: (laughs) Yes, and that's... Just where we also need to change the way that sex is depicted in media and in porn to show how it can be hot because in so much of the media that we consume, consent isn't depicted at all. You know, It goes back to that fantasy we talked about earlier where it just kind of happens and everyone's in the flow. But if you can integrate these real models of how consent is actually practiced in healthy ways, I think that could be very helpful for people and also in terms of figuring out how it can be hot.
1: Yeah. If, if there were directors who spent a little bit less time figuring out which parts of the body they can show to show that the people had <laughs> sex and more time figuring out how to show the building anticipation that created the safety and pleasure that those people engage in, they would be, I think, creating both an incredible public service and also building intense pleasure for the audience. Like, oh, that's what that could look like. That would create so much intensity so much anticipation, so much sense of safety and freedom to be and flow and be honest about what really turns me on.
0: Yep. Absolutely. So, how can we all learn to practice consent better? You know, I mean, until those (laughs) instructional porn videos come along, um, you know, what else can we do? In your book, you talk about a three-step consent process. So, maybe you can kind of walk us through that. How does that work? How do you implement this in practice? So,
1: I like to talk about what do we want to feel here first, and what do we not want to feel? That orients us to the goal states we're trying to create for each other. And the skill then, what we're trying to consent to physically is what's going to create those states for each of us. This is why it's so important to know yourself about what actually creates it versus what you think will create that feeling for you. And then, what are we both going to do and not do to create that experience uh, for us in the process, and how will we know that that's happening is the third question.
0: Thank you for walking us through that, and for people who want more detail about it, you can check out the book, and it goes into a much more in-depth explanation about how you can implement these procedures in your own sexual communication. Now, speaking of communication, I have a question for you that goes a bit beyond the topic of consent, and it's how we can learn to be more effective sexual communicators in general. So, in all of your years of working as a sex and relationship therapist, what are your top tips for improving sexual communication between partners?
1: So, for you to be non-judgmental about whatever kink, interest, fantasy your partner brings out is so helpful for them to begin opening up even more and sharing more. Most of us will begin revealing parts of our sexual erotic landscape bit by bit. And the moment that we begin to feel judged, shamed, we will stop that Disclosure process as soon as we begin to feel like, oh, okay, that's where you no longer can accept my erotic landscape. And then that sets the ceiling for that couple in terms of what they're going to explore, what they're going to talk about, what's going to be something that they can incorporate to create passion and intensity in their relationship. So be creating in yourself a non judgmental space to just hear what your partner is saying. If they say, I've always had a fantasy like this. If they say, I like to look at porn that's like this. Even if that's something that you aren't into, can you get curious about it? What is it that turns your partner on about that? You might find, well, I'm not into that particular way of creating freedom for my partner. I don't like to be dominant, for example. But what my partner said is that for them to feel like they don't have to be Like they can let go and receive pleasure for a period of time. Well, how else can we create that? What's the root of this fantasy that makes that content hot for them? And how can we find other ways of bringing that in is so important. And the other thing is really just regulating your emotions. It's a broad human skill, but being able to Tolerate, you know, sadness, disappointment, a little bit of frustration, and to be confident in yourself will allow you to bring all of those skills to the sexual arena
0: because you will probably experience some of those negative emotions there too. Yeah, I think that's all great advice. I appreciate you sharing it. And I appreciate everything you're doing in the book to try and help us have better conversations about consent and helping us to realize that consent is this complex, very nuanced subject, and we definitely need to be talking about it more, and we need to do better education surrounding it. And also keep in mind that the definition of consent is something that is always evolving and changing, and that's all the more reason why we need to study it and talk about it.
1: Absolutely.
0: Thank you so much for this amazing conversation, Eric. It was a pleasure to have you here. Can you please tell my listeners where they can go to learn more about you and your work and get a copy of your new book?
1: I'm all over social media at Dr. Eric Fitz, D R E R I C F I T Z. That's also my website, drericfitz.com. There are links there to my book, but you can also find my book wherever books are sold.
0: Well, thank you again for your time. I really appreciate having you here, and thank you to my listeners. To keep up with new episodes of this podcast, visit my website, Sex and Psychology, or subscribe on your favorite platform, where I hope you'll take a moment to rate and review the show. You can also follow me on the socials for daily sex research updates. I'm on Twitter at Justin Miller and Instagram at Justin J. Miller. Also, be sure to check out my book, Tell Me What You Want. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.